Welcome to Shovel Talk, a podcast for economic developers. From your friends at the Golden Shovel Agency. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Shovel Talk. Um, we're excited to have the CEO of Four Corners Economic Development down in New Mexico, Arvin Trujillo, on the episode today. Um, we'll meet him in just a moment, but of course, we first need to know where in the world is Amanda? Yes, yeah, so I have moved from the open air eco lodge in Kenya that I was at with all the monkeys and the critters um, over to Cape Town, South Africa. And it is absolutely amazing. I have coverings on my windows, no bugs getting in. It's been awesome. Uh, I've only been here a few days, but uh, I have a lot of things on the agenda to do really, really awesome stuff. So on a future episode, I'll have to tell uh, more about that. But uh, one thing that I've gotten to do so far is have lunch at a place called Camps Bay. And it is just one of the coolest sceneries I've ever seen in my life. It really brings together in just the same scene, the mountains and the beach and the ocean. It is gorgeous. And so it's an area of the beach where you can view uh, a mountain range called the 12 apostles. And it is a really, really unique mountain range. It's absolutely gorgeous. So uh, when you're standing on the beach, you look out to the left and it's the mountain range and then all the, you know, the apartments and hotels and in the, in the side of the mountain. And then it goes into like beautiful restaurants, lions of palm trees, the sand, and then the ocean. It's just, it's really cool. Um, something that I hadn't seen before. So it has been great. I'm really excited to, to tell you guys more about what I have done. Once I've done these things, there's like penguins and uh, which I never knew there was a penguin colony in South Africa. I don't want to give away too much. I'm so excited about all the stuff on the agenda, but yeah, that'll have to be saved for a future episode. Well, thank you, Amanda. And now everybody, let's just take our moment here and just feel extremely jealous that we're not Amanda. So here we go. Let's take a moment. All right. Now let's get on with our podcast. Arvin Trujillo, CEO of Four Corners, New Mexico Economic Development. Bethany, take it away. So Arvin, my first question to you has to be, uh, you are a fellow Nittany Lion. So we both went to Penn State. And I wanted to know, um, you went to Penn State, you had a mining engineering degree from, from there. And tell us a little bit about your time in, in Pennsylvania and maybe why you decided to come back home after that. Well, Bethany, well, it's good to hear that you were a fellow Nittany Lion. You know, it's kind of funny. When I did my undergraduate work, I, did, uh, I went the, the pre-med route and uh, got to the point to where I took my MCATs and at that point... Uh, Suddenly, I was deciding that maybe medic, the medical field wasn't the direction for me. Ended up working at a mining operation here in Fruitland called Navajo Mine okay. and got really interested in engineering. Hmm. From there, uh, I applied to a number of mining schools uh, throughout the country. Uh, I got accepted to a number of them. I'd been to all the areas here in the western part of the U.S. I got one from Penn State, and I had just gotten married. And my wife and I talked about it. And we both said we've never really been out east. So why not take a chance? And so we packed our little U-Haul and had our little vehicle and two young kids in their 20s headed out east. And we went to state college and that was a whole new world to us. But I uh, got involved there going to school at Penn State, uh, ended up going there for three years and uh, then came on back 
there were job offers there in the eastern part of the U.S., but I really didn't want to go underground. Mm-hmm. I liked the strip mining. I enjoyed uh, dragline operations, etc. And so that's what brought me back out west. Sure. And honestly, it probably was a really fun adventure for you guys to take some time away and then you decide you want to come back home. That's great. One thing, though, was it was really green out there versus the way things are here at home. <laughs> it is. Yes. Yes. There's so many trees and you're, you're surrounded by the mountains. So it's, it's very green. It's very rural for anyone who's never been to the Penn State campus. But <laughs> we always true. like stories, too, where people um, do leave and explore a little bit. Uh, anyone who's been listening to our podcast obviously knows that Amanda is our resident explorer right now. But to see that you, you know, you did decide to come back home. So what really drew you back? You said, obviously, career opportunities, but clearly that was a decision you and your wife made to head back out West. Um, so do you, what is it about maybe the quality of life that, that you like or prefer? Yeah, we, we live mainly in a, in a real rural setting here on the reservation. And uh, I wanted to come back into this part of the country. And in a way, it was a, a roundabout way. Back in the 80s, when I finished school and came back here, engineers were pretty much a dime a dozen. And with my old, the the operation I used to work at, they had changed our ownership. And so there really wasn't a position for me. Hmm. So I ended up teaching high school for about six months. And then from there, I was able to uh, get an interview with Mobile Coal up in Wyoming. And that's where I first had my first uh, opportunity to, to get into the mining industry, working for Mobile Coal up in Gillette, Wyoming for about four years. Mm. Then at that point, I was hired back down here with BHP Minerals and ended up coming back home here and, and working for BHP Minerals for about nine years. But, you know, it was just uh, being out west. Uh, we we like the, the quality of life out here, the outdoors enjoy the activities outdoors. We uh, were not used to uh, uh, having homes side by side. We, we like to have uh, some space between homes. And for myself, you know, I do like uh, going into town. I don't like living in town. And uh, so again, those, those things kind of play to the, that aspect. Plus the fact that uh, uh, being Navajo, being able to come back and really finding ways to contribute towards my tribe. That was another real motivation uh, as I was growing up. Sure. No, it's been fantastic. You had the opportunity to do so. So it it was, uh, it's been quite a journey for me. And uh, my career has taken a lot of different turns as I've gone through. You know, I started off as a mining engineer, uh, worked both in Wyoming and here. Then I was uh, asked to join the Navajo Nation as a President Kelsey Begay's uh, head person for the Division of Natural Resources. I thought I was just going to be there for four years, but I ended up being there 12 years uh, because after he lost his reelection, the next president, Joe Shirley Jr., asked me to stay on. So I ended up staying on for another eight years with the Division of Natural Resources. And then from there, I got involved with utilities, came back to work for Four Corners Power Plant here in the Farmington area. And then now here with Four Four Corners Economic Development. So there's been a lot of twists and turns with with my career. Sounds like it's been a bit of an adventure. (laughs) It has. It has. And it's been good. It's been good. So Arvin, you've had several roles with the Navajo Nation 
education and you've been involved in several major projects. Tell us about the most notable project that you've worked on. I think for me, the most, well, there were really two. The real, the most notable one was there had been a decades long dispute between the Navajo Nation and one of its neighboring tribes, the Hopi tribe on land. And uh, that was a long term dispute that had been going on ever since I was in high school. It started back in the 50s. And uh, when I went and worked for the nation, I became involved in those discussions and those negotiations along with the attorney general, then Louis Danette Sosi. And I took on the uh, natural resources issues. He took on the legal issues. And we were able to resolve that decades-long dispute between both tribes. And now we have clear boundaries between the tribes and clear understanding uh, in terms of water rights, land rights, etc. So that was a long-term dispute that uh, I was a part of being uh, in in, in the decision-making process. And the other one was uh, we were working on developing a pipeline, a water pipeline from the San Juan River in through New Mexico to uh, another community called Gallup, New Mexico, which is about 100 miles away from the San Juan River. In the development of that pipeline, we needed to get water rights resolved between the Navajo Nation and the state of New Mexico. Uh, I was also involved in those negotiations. And as a result, we were able to to resolve those negotiations. And that was really the first water rights uh, negotiations that the tribe was able to resolve for a number of decades also. And uh, that's opened the door to other negotiations that have happened uh, between the nation and the other states that surround the Navajo Nation. So again, those were two things that uh, never thought I'd really be involved in when I first started, but got involved with it and uh, happily proved to be successful. So Arvin, I'm wondering just, you know, as someone who has uh, worked in economic development, I was an economic developer in California, uh, served on city council, you know, worked uh, with with other jurisdictions in, in my area. And a hurdle, you know, a big hurdle is, is a lot of time resolving those longstanding issues between two different, um, you know, governments or jurisdictions. So what what was it that really allowed you guys to get past some of those longstanding issues and come to a resolution um, with the projects you mentioned? I, you know, that's a really good question. And Amanda, what I think the biggest thing that I went in and did was, one, really began to open dialogue. And the big piece to opening that dialogue was to begin to establish trust. Uh, the big thing I also did was look back at what had happened before. Because sometimes people go into situations like that thinking, okay, I got a clean slate. But you got people there who live through other disputes and there might have been some mistrust or there might have been some misunderstandings. So better understanding those things and then going in with a really open mind and say, look, I am the new guy here. I understand there were differences but I want to develop a relationship that will help us begin to have a dialogue with each other, understanding that there are still differences of opinion, but can we find common ground in order to begin our discussions and finding ways to, can we resolve it? Can we mitigate it? What can we do to get past this issue to, to, to uh, allow us to come to some type of an agreement? That was the type of a, approach that I took. And it took time. 
And there was a lot of frustrating moments within those discussions. But again, persevering through that and sometimes allowing people to vet and trying to help people say, look, don't take it personally. Let them say what they got to say. Get it off your chest. And then from there, we can then begin to to find a way to, to establish common ground and dialogue to begin to resolve the issues that are in front of us. So that's what I tried to do. Uh, at times, uh, people were trying to make things personal. You know, you try to work things to where you don't criticize on a personal basis or you don't uh, judge on a personal basis, but you look at the situation or you look at the circumstances and you look at those things and try to help the group understand this is what we're trying to achieve here. Yes, criticize the process, criticize the situation, criticize, but once we criticize, let's not just criticize, but let's come in with what can we do to resolve it? And so again, it was really looking at and establishing that type of dialogue as we went through. Arvin, I think that your comments on that approach are so needed at this time because we live in a time in history where we tend to maybe not listen to each other enough. And we do seem to take that combative approach and it doesn't really help to solve things. So I I really appreciate you sharing that story because I think it's something that we all maybe need to take a step back and remember sometimes. You know, again, that's helped me now in this situation because we're a very diverse area here. We have four states. We're right in the, the four state region of the U.S., having Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico. We have uh, four tribes in the region here, the Navajo, the Southern Ute, the Ute Mountain Ute, and the Hickory Apache. And there's history amongst all of us. And so, again, building those partnerships is critical for this region because you can't look at diversifying an economy or bringing economic development or marketing to the area unless you have the other groups involved with you. And so a lot of the experience that I saw with the Navajo Nation and even in the mining industry, because I was involved in different environmental discussions with the federal government or with communities, it was really looking at how do we bring people together and how do we work together to resolve issues and, and find solutions to challenges or to problems that, that are confronting that particular group at that time. So I think a lot of that training has really been uh, helpful as I've, I've, as I've moved through my career. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, and one of the things I want to follow up on with that is you've mentioned in the past, you know, the importance of really bringing the tribes to the table for these discussions. And, you know, with your background, obviously you have, you already have those relationships. So that's, that's easier for, for your position. Um, But, you know, you're not alone in, in wanting to obviously bring diverse stakeholders to the table across the country. Economic developers do have diverse stakeholders in communities where they, they need to identify those stakeholders and then try to incorporate them into the conversations and make sure voices are heard. Uh, what would be your recommendation for even how to start that process, that step one? How do we bring people to the table? Well, I think the, the very first thing you got to go in is the mindset that one size does not fit all. Mm-hmm. You have to go in with the, with the idea that, okay, I need to learn about this particular group or this particular community. 
I need to understand what they see as important. What do they see as priorities? And it's that old adage, you know, walk a mile in their shoes. Uh, better understand what they're doing and then begin to have dialogue with different individuals. And as you begin to do that, you begin to identify who are their champions, who are the people that they um, that they put a lot of trust in. If you can gain them as allies and be truthful with them. And again, I always come in with that adage, look, there might be times when we both agree to disagree. That's okay. That, that there's nothing wrong with that. But we just got to find common ground to work on different projects. And so that's how I've developed these relationships. And uh, it does take time. And it takes an investment of yourself to go out and make these types of a relationship uh, or develop these types of relationships and as you begin to grow there, those people will begin to introduce you to other people and you keep working. But and again, at that point, you have to be very careful, too, mm -hmm. because you don't want to over uh, over promise what you can achieve mm -hmm. because people will look at it and you say, well, we can get that done. And if you don't. Suddenly people start judging your capabilities or judging your What's your agenda? What are you trying to do? And so, again, it's, it's making sure you're, you're doing that and then being transparent with the communities that you're working with. I mean, that, that's the one thing that uh, I've tried to do. If I'm working with uh, uh, one of our municipalities, you know, being open with their city council, being open with uh, business owners, just to let them know this is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. There's no secret behind it. There's, there's no agenda. This is what I'm hearing. This is what we're moving towards. And I'm open to input as we go through this because, you know, there, there's no, we don't know everything and we just need to understand that better. And so as you work with tribes, that becomes critical because the history of most tribes is that they've gone into discussions like this, especially with the federal government. Right. And then things change. And suddenly they're not seeing what was what they thought was promised to them or, or what was committed to them. And suddenly, you know, things such as, you know, they're lying to us and et cetera starts popping up. That's the history that most tribes have seen. And so you got to be very cognizant of that and takes things step by step, works on those trust issues. But then know that as you make commitments, make sure you can keep those commitments. And then okay. as you begin to do that, you'll start building that relationship uh, with those particular tribes that, or communities even that you're working with. Because again, they all have a history. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a really fair point. I think it's easy to come into a conversation or negotiation and think that um, you're coming in to maybe discuss that issue only. But as you mentioned with history, everyone's carrying their history when they walk in the door. So creating yeah. the opportunity for that to be expressed is a really good suggestion. So Arvin, uh, Forset is a transitioning economy. What are some of the strategies you have to move away from being so reliant on coal and natural gas? Well, again, that's where we're working with our communities right, right now. We're beginning to focus on what, what uh, advantages do we have in this region here? And how do we begin to build out on those advantages 
one of the things that I've incorporated as we begin looking at this is really looking at this from a strategic point of view and to get input from the communities. The best vehicle that we found for that for this region was to incorporate community-based volunteer teams. And so I brought teams together and that's, that's the vehicle I utilized to build our strategic plan. And within that strategic plan, we came up with five strategic goals we want to follow or we want to achieve. And so for each of those strategies, I built a team all composed of community members. We have business owners. We have, we have civic leaders. We have educators. We have uh, key community members. Right now, we have a few tribal members. We want to build that aspect into it. And so, again, we're bringing these teams together, and I'm getting a lot of ideas. People have a lot of different things. And as we begin to discuss things and learn from one another, we start honing down and to say, here are the objectives we want to uh, go after within this particular goal. So, again, we're seeing opportunities looking at energy. We're, we're seeing deficiencies we have in infrastructure, like how do we get bulk equipment supplies out in and out of this region. One of the big projects we're working on is to bring uh, a rail system here to San Juan County. We're looking at how we can enhance our broadband capabilities. We're learning more from our businesses now. We've gone out with a big uh, business retention and expansion project where we've, we've right now we've interviewed uh, a little over 100 businesses here in San Juan County. That in itself was an experience because we built a survey that probably would take about an hour to go through. But there were many instances where for myself, I would go in and sit down with the business owner and I'm still there two, three hours later. And you talk to the business, they're saying, this is the first time somebody has actually come in and asked me about my business and what can we do to help you? And so again, it's building that, that relationship, building uh, that common outlook in terms of what they see for their communities and how they see their businesses interacting. So given that, we've, we're looking at rail, we're looking at a broadband, we're also looking at uh, possibly uh, designating this area as a hydrogen hub. We've had the Department of Energy here, uh, the secretary here, uh, talking about that possibility along with our state senator, Senator Heinrich. Uh, they were here talking to our communities, our, our civic leaders about that possibility. Uh, we're, we're focused on, on how we can build bridges between us and the tribe so that we can enhance our broadband in a very effective manner. And how can we then make connections to the major municipalities around the, the four state region? So right now we are in that exploratory phase at this point. We have some ideas, we're out doing the necessary legwork to, to better understand some of these things that we would like, and then what it would take for us to get those pieces in place. Uh, we're working with the EDA, with the railroad piece, we got a bill grant for $2 million to, to uh, enhance or, or to bring rail or to do the planning for that rail. We were able to get a MOU approved and uh, signed uh, between the Navajo Nation and San Juan County. Both of them agreeing that they will work together to bring rail to here to San Juan County because we've got to go through Navajo Nation land. So we got that, we got to have their right away. 
in order to go through that. So they, we have an agreement with them to do that. So those are some of the things that we've been able to accomplish. And it's been kind of a step-by-step process uh, moving forward to really to identify what are those areas and the doors opening right now, looking at manufacturing, look at hydrogen development, even some new energy development uh, possibilities here to, to help us uh, diversify from just being uh, fossil fuel dependent. So I was actually going to ask you about infrastructure um, and you answered a lot of it already, but you know, this is a really hot topic throughout the United States. And obviously, you know, you're transitioning to new economies, but you have a really unique geographic position because not only do you have to navigate infrastructure, maybe like within a county or within a city, but you are talking about multiple states and you're talking about tribal land as well. Um, With that, do you feel like the Four Corners region has maybe more opportunities to attract infrastructure investment because you do have so many players? Or do you feel like it's really more of a challenge because you're trying to bring everyone together? I think right now, Bethany, we have some distinct advantages in looking at this because really the corners of the state here, uh, Northwest New Mexico, Southwest Colorado, Southeast Utah, and Northeast Arizona, we have uh, for decades been in competition with our metropolitan areas. Mm-hmm. Here in New Mexico, it's the uh, Santa Fe, Albuquerque, Las Cruces corridor. Mm-hmm. With Durango, Colorado, it's the uh, Colorado Springs, Denver, Boulder area. Mm-hmm. With uh, Utah, it's the Provo, Salt Lake City area. And then with uh, Arizona, it's the Phoenix, Tucson mm-hmm. region. But Traditionally, because of our capabilities to produce oil, natural gas, and coal, we've been the energy center Mm -hmm. or the energy source for the development of many of these cities. And because we were able to generate reliable, cheap power, a lot of these cities were able to grow and develop. So now we're in the processes of how do we come back together as a concerted group and uh, really look at ourselves as the Four Corners region, looking at these new opportunities with rail, with uh, manufacturing, uh, with broadband development, and utilizing that as a four-state region mm-hmm. to begin to build out the necessary infrastructure we need to in, uh, continue our uh, economic development efforts moving into the future. And the real power is we're beginning to recognize that as we become together and if we can come together effective enough, our political clout could grow. Right. Because now you have four states that would be interested in seeing things happen here. Mm -hmm. And we can now begin to partner with other sovereign nations. We have tribes that are in Colorado, that are in New Mexico, that are in Arizona, and that are in Utah, who we can also collaborate with and show that we can partner with these tribal entities and communities to help them with their economic development efforts. And so again, now you have a diverse group that's being affected. And if you can find ways to invest money into this region, Mm -hmm. the benefits would be tremendous in this region. And so again, we're beginning to understand that and we're beginning to work in in, in towards that type of goal. Mm -hmm. There's still a lot of work to be done because communities here have been fairly independent. Sure. 
And so coming back together and working together at times uh, is a new learning process for, for the communities. And as I indicated before, one of those aspects is trust. Mm-hmm. How can I trust one community? Are they going to try to steal our idea, sure. et cetera, et cetera. And again, it's, it's really looking at how can we support one another and really develop our efforts here in the Four Corners region. And I think there's a real good potential, not only to, to bring that type of development here, but you would ultimately be affecting a diverse population mm-hmm. across the board. Yeah, I mean, it really sounds like a lot of your opportunities rely on that regionalism approach uh, by bringing the stakeholders together. It, it does, mm-hmm. it does, because really you can't be isolated here because if you want to go and put a transmission line or a railroad or a road or a highway, you gotta, you gotta cross a number of different jurisdictions. Sure. And so the only way you can do that is having that uh, relationship developed so you can move through those things as smoothly as you can. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. businesses are looking for consistency. And that's the only way you can bring consistency to this effort. No, that makes a lot of sense. So Arvin, you spoke earlier about um, wanting to contribute to your tribe. This concept of being invested in your community is something that's shared by champions of rural communities everywhere. You also mentioned bringing together, I should say successfully bringing together a group of volunteers to work on a few of your projects, which, you know, anyone that has managed a group of volunteers in their um you know, career, uh, they know how difficult that can be. And so how, how do we create more of this investment mindset where people look at their community as something to be a part of and really, um, you know, volunteer in and, you know, really get involved in those kind of projects rather than just a place to live? Well, I, I think a lot of it really begins with the education effort and getting people to participate uh, one thing that I found here, and this was uh, confirmed in the uh, BRE survey that we did, that word of mouth here in this region is very, very strong. People will listen to other people in terms of their recommendations or what their experience was uh, with another organization, with another company, uh, even hiring people, getting recommendations from different people that they know as to who can they hire or have you heard about this person, et cetera, et cetera. And so what we've been able to do was to start bringing people together and giving them the boundaries in terms of what we were looking at within a specific area. But then from there, begin to foster discussions amongst the group and get feedback. Because again, what, what you're looking at here is one finding common ground, but uh, you guys know this as well as I do. If you go into a group and, and you start giving ideas, but they never take any one of your ideas, are you going to stay with that group? No. Nope. <laughs> but, you know, if you find ways that you begin to incorporate these different ideas, and in many ways you begin to find common ground that incorporates a number of people's ideas and, and look at that and finding ways that it'll enhance our capabilities in terms of either economic or community development, then you begin to develop and grow. And then as they start seeing these things happen, what we're seeing is that people start talking to each other, 
saying, you know, these guys are, are doing X and they're doing Y. And that's something that's really beneficial and, and we should continue to do that. And so that's how we've been slowly been able to build our participation in this, looking at new ideas. If people want to contribute, we've been looking at how we could do that. Uh, so it, it's been a really a, a facilitation process that has allowed us to do that. I, I've got a, a a contractor working with me that's done a tremendous job in bringing that type of uh, effort together. And I think it also helps that the, uh, the person I brought in knows many of these people. She's run a couple programs here in the county for a number of years. And so uh, she knows many of the people here. And so, again, that builds on that trust aspect to, to, to help people with this facil, facil, uh, facilitation process. So looking at teams, that's how we've been able to bring teams together, keep them together, and uh, really look at not shutting things out, but mainly putting boundaries around what we're trying to discuss or what we're trying to achieve. And so looking at the diversity of the area here, Again, that's what we're building, and it, it's a process. People want to come in, and they want to uh, they want to see results today. I, I use the analogy sometimes. I say, you know, I said my kids are the same way. We've been brought up on cell phones and etc. And the way that the computer is right now and internet. You know, people would watch me when when I'm working the computer sometimes. And if there's trouble, I just patient. I wait. They look at me and they say, "Well, how do you do that?" I said. Guys, when I first started, I was in the period when we had computer cards and you had to have one piece of uh, algorithm on each card. I said, that's how I said, when we used to have those four inch discs that could store 500 K of information, we were in hog heaven. Uh, And so I said, you know, it's looking at that, but now we want things today. I said, when you're looking at relationship building, it's the same thing. You've got to build on it day by day, piece by piece. And eventually you get to the point to where you start seeing some good results. And then you start building on those results. You start uh, sharing those successes, even if they're small ones. Mm -hmm. And you start building in that fashion. And so that's how we've been going. And given the fact that we have a strategic plan in place now, has also been very helpful because now we have our priorities and there are a lot of good people coming in with a lot of ideas. But what I'm able to do now is say, okay, we'll put that up there. We'll put this here and we will see how that comes as, as we continue our efforts. But here's our focus right now. This is what we're going to be focused on. Mm-hmm. And you have something there that you say, this wasn't just Arvin Trujillo that made this up. This was the community they put this together and this is what the community said is the priority that they want to work on. So we're going to move in this direction. Some will, will stay and say, okay, we understand it. Others will say, well, we'll go find somebody else to do this. And that's great. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it helps give me focus because again, I'm not a type of person that says, well, let me throw something up against the wall and let's see what sticks. I don't have the time, nor do I have the resources to do something like that. And so having the, the, the strategic plan and then building that, uh, that aspect of uh, team development mm-hmm. is really what has helped us get to where we are right now. And uh, 
I can truly say that much that we've achieved right now has been through community effort. It just hasn't been me doing, mm-hmm. doing all the work. It's been the community as a whole working together. You know, I think there's definitely some lessons there uh, when you talk about the community working together and you, you really are also talking about the importance of patience to let things take time to build, not being so uh, quick, maybe to rush into making decisions, but to actually give time for the community to give feedback and participate. Yeah, because again, even there, Bethany, people got to buy into your idea. Mm-hmm. They have to buy in into a vision. And that's what the strategic plan helps us do. It develops that vision and that mission. Mm-hmm. And now I got to get people to buy into that. And this is the vehicle by which through these strategic uh, goal teams. We've got focus group teams. Mm-hmm. And now we're beginning to build business retention and expansion teams. But through this team effort, we're still focused on that strategic plan, mm-hmm. looking at that vision and everything ties to that. So you have a common thread throughout this whole effort in order to say, this is what we want to achieve. And here's where we want to put our money and invest our time. Sure. Yeah, the strategic plan is so important. And, you know, it's, it's great that you guys have been able to narrow it down to where you have teams of volunteers working even at the very uh, micro level. I think it, one thing I want to point out to our listeners is that there are some ancillary benefits to having so many community members involved in this process beyond the obvious of getting the buy-in. And that's that you're also developing future leaders. One of the issues the economic development industry has is the same issue that you know, we're seeing companies across the U.S. have, and that's a lack of talent. So being able to build up community leaders also means you have more people on for your board in the future and, and potentially people to even work in economic development if, if they find an affinity for it. That, that is a good point, because, again, when we were first talking about how what vehicle we would use, the three areas that or, or really the four areas that came out was one, we need to educate our community and our community members about economic development and what opportunities and possibilities there are. We got to get our community members to participate. Because again, mm-hmm. it was just as, as noted before, when I first came into this position and I was talking to businesses, you talk about economic development. They said, oh, that's the city or oh, that's Forset or oh, that's the state. They were pushing it on somebody else. But going through this process, you're beginning to show community members that participate, that you are a part of the solution. And then as you begin to do that, you begin to build buy-in so that as decisions are made and directions are made, people are there, as you indicated, Bethany, people are there not only as leaders, but they're also there as advocators. They advocate for this particular position. And then with that, you get the support that you need to move these initiatives forward. Because again, some of these things are fairly long-term, but you've got to start somewhere and it's got to continue. And as things change, because we do have turnover on our teams because these people are busy and I'm very cognizant of their time. Mm-hmm. And uh, many of them, they, they've been with us for a year and they said, you know, Arvin, I've contributed for a year. I need to go and do some other things. Fine, we really appreciate it. But now we're able to start, we're starting to bring new people in and it's, it's, it's continuing that process. And so, uh, again, it, it, it's, it's been a way to really build that continuity within the, within the community here. 
All right, Arvin. Well, we are going to play shovel toss. So I am going to toss some questions your way and you just answer them as fast as you can. They're kind of get to know you questions. And so there's some fun ones mixed in there. Okay. Um, so we'll start. So what is the last book you read? First things first. What is your Steve, favorite podcast? Favorite podcast is Paul Guessing's. I think it's called I Know It. It's out in New Mexico here. What is the very first thing you do in the morning? Read my Bible. Uh, what did you want to be when you grew up? My first aspirations was to become a medical doctor. Wow. All right. Who is your favorite superhero and why? Favorite superhero. I think my favorite superhero is uh, got to be the Hulk. And the reason why is, you know, he, he when he, when he's in that his uh, condition there, he just kind of takes things over and and he just makes things happen. If he has to bust things up or whatever he has to do <laughs> to get the job done, he goes and gets it done. Does it? <laughs> awesome. So, what superpower would you want, and why? Superpower that I would want. I think I would want to be able to read people truly effectively. And not miss it. Good one. Good one. That would be helpful. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if you could live anywhere in the world for a year, where would you want to live? Anywhere in the world for a year. I think I would like to live in Switzerland. Ooh, that one's on my list too. <laughs> so great. Um, if you could have a meal with anyone in history, who would it be with and why? Anyone in history. You know, I think I would like to have a meal with a gentleman called Eli Parker. Hmm. He was a uh, Native American who was the assistant to uh, Ulysses S. Grant. And uh, he was in the Army, and I believe he was a major in the Army. I would just love to sit down with him and see how did he transition from his Native American uh, upbringing and being a part of the U.S. Army within uh, General Grant's administration. And uh, how did he make it work, especially in that time period when right. reservations were being established and tribes were being decimated and et cetera? Yet there he was. Wow. Great answer. <laughs> Who was your favorite band or singer when you were a teenager? When I was a teenager, I'd have to say Credence Clearwater Revival. Great answer. I love them. <laughs> last question. What was your most embarrassing hairstyle or article of clothing from your childhood? Uh, <laughs> I think the most embarrassing for me was back in the, uh, in the seventies, it was a hot thing to do. But now that I look at pictures of it, having those uh, plaid bell bottoms with the big <laughs> shoes and the big uh, belts, and then having the kind of that crushed velvet kind of sports jacket on. And it, it, then I thought I was really cool, but you look at it now, you look at that polyester shirt and the plaid pants, and yep. it, it's just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> yep. Isn't that how it always goes? That's exactly why I have that question on there because <laughs> you look back at pictures, like, oh. What was I thinking? <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for being such a good sport and playing the shovel toss game with us. I appreciate it. <laughs> sure thing. Interesting questions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want to see a picture of you in those plaid bell bottoms. Oh, right? gosh. <laughs> I better go burn that. <laughs>
<laughs> You're lucky it was before the days of Facebook. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arvin, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, it's been a great conversation and thank you for sharing your background and, and knowledge with us. It's just been awesome. Well, again, thank you for, for the questions and it was, it was fun. And again, just wants to show, I just want to showcase what we're doing here in San Juan County. And this is a great opportunity to do that. We're trying to make some things happen and, and hopefully that, that will help open some eyes. And again, my experience in terms of really working with tribes and working with communities and trying to bring all these entities together, you know, I, I just really, really think that that's important. And I know there are other tribes across the country and as Bethany indicated that, you know, they are going through some of the same situations we are. And so mm-hmm. uh, if there's a way that I might have just kind of helped some of that, that, that's great. We're glad to bring attention to what's happening in the Four Corners region. Um, I think, as you mentioned early on, you know, it's maybe an area that doesn't get as much attention because that goes to the metropolitan areas, but it's it's a very critical region to the growth of those states. And, and we look forward to watching your strategic plan be put into action and seeing these changes. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you very much. I would like to extend another great thank you to Arvind Trujillo, CEO of Four Corners Economic Development, who along with uh, Chris Hunter um, has become a showcase golden shovel client. We are super proud of that website. Um, You can visit that website at fourcornersed.com and that's for the number four. You can also like them on Facebook at Four Corners ED, again, number four. And follow them on LinkedIn at Four Corners Economic Development. This time you spell out the word four. As far as Golden Shovel News goes, um, you can check out a new kind of resource page on the Golden Shovel website, Resources for Economic Development Professionals. Very good depository of um, educational materials, especially for maybe new employees that come on board, uh, maybe not super familiar with what economic development is. Um, That's a great page uh, full of great um, um, resources to download. As far as Golden Shovel social media accounts, you can like us on Facebook at Shovel Toss. Follow us on Twitter at Gold Shovel. LinkedIn, follow us at Golden Shovel Agency and subscribe to our YouTube channel at Golden Shovel Agency. We'll be back in action in December for our season finale of Shovel Talk. We've made it through a year. Um, We have not heard if we're being picked up for 2022, but we're crossing our fingers here. Talk in December. Mm